This is Dirt to Dollars, hosted by your local county extension agents, where we talk everything agriculture. Welcome back to another edition of Dirt to Dollars. This is the week of October the 5th, and I got it right this week. Good job. (laughs) I'm on it today. I'm back with my co-host this week, uh, Daniel in LaRue County, and Matt in Hardin County. How are you all? Hello. Doing good. Whatever it is. Good evening and good night. Yeah, I was going to say, it's it cover them all. in the afternoon, <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know what day it is anymore. I don't know what time of day it is. So You've had a busy day, according to uh, our text messages Just this morning. It's always busy this time of year. It is, it is. And and I know you said you've been doing some uh, soybean and corn plots, and it's fall break for some of us around here, so we're running around trying to get a few things done while we have the time. So how are they looking? Or how are your plots looking? Yields seem pretty good from uh, what's been ran in this area, corn and soybeans both. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, just uh, ran out and ran one earlier and swung through McDonald's and grabbed a quick lunch, <laughs> ate it on the road. Yeah. What's your all's go-to on-the-road lunch when you have a busy day like that? I'll tell Damn. you what mine is. So you go, only time I ever eat McDonald's, really. Uh-huh. Go through the drive-through, a McChicken, a small fry, and a large Diet Coke. Mm-hmm. I don't know See, what it, it's just. It's easy to eat on the road. Something about their yeah. French fries—you don't have to put them in ketchup, mm-hmm. so you don't have to worry about that mess. Yep. It's a good money play too, though, because it's like you get the McChicken and fries for, for like two dollars, and $2. then you get the drink for a dollar. So that's that's not bad. Yeah. I try to play whatever combination of food is the cheapest. Um, yeah. That's kind of what I like to do. Burger King used to have a King meal deal that was like $3. Mm-hmm. Came with a drink and a sandwich and fries. That was pretty good, but I don't think they have that anymore. Well, they had like the four for four, too, at one time, I think. Cause that's Wendy's. Oh, is it Wendy's? Yeah, that's, okay. the guy, that's where it's that. at. Now, yeah. that's, that is. That's the yeah. best deal out there. Because mm-hmm. you get like the chicken nugs, and then you get the French fries, the drink, and a sandwich. Like a yeah. Hamburger, they took, cheeseburger. They took the double stack out of it when COVID hit because oh. of the supposedly beef shortage. Yeah, but did they ever add it back That's since we're back to normal? I don't. <laughs> that was a really good deal because just yeah. a double stack was like Honestly, three bucks. That's right. We could go, you know, and you say that, but we would get like two four for fours, and that would feed it, like my husband and I and our two kids because you know they're Heck, only going to eat the. Chicken I would nuggets. get two four for fours. <laughs> Because it was a better deal than, than getting a value meal for eight bucks. I said, man, I'll yeah. get more food this way. Absolutely. And Absolutely. sometimes you could sweet talk them instead of like, instead of the drink, you get a, a, a frosty. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sometimes uh, I let you do that. So yeah, that's all yeah. right. Because then you can dip your fries in the frosty. If yeah. you catch them at the right time, they've got these little $1 key tag things. It's for mm-hmm. some charity or something. And it gets you like a mini frosty free for a year. You, you know what? I should take real. I don't, you know, and I literally have a Wendy's 500 yards from my office. I probably should take more advantage of that, but I don't. <laughs> uh, but I also have a Taco Bell that's about 500 yards in the other direction too. So, I mean, my go-to is probably, like you said, McDonald's, McChicken and and fries. If if I'm feeling frisky, I'll do that. But otherwise, it's I, I eat a lot of Subway sandwiches that are on the flatbread because I don't like I buying don't the, the actual sandwich. Stuff. 
you don't. Well, this I like is smelling like that all day. Well, this is like a, the flatbread. I'll get the steak and cheese on flatbread. That's what I'll get. So. I don't like smelling like Subway, but I'll go to Lay Hayes and I'll smell like it all day long. I don't know what <laughs> now, the deal see, is. Now, if I were in if I were in Hodgenville, that's probably where I would go every day, and that you know weigh five hundred pounds. But oh man, sometimes fast food's good. I, I have to be careful how much I eat it, but I, I'll grab it, especially if I'm on on the go. So. I don't eat it near as much as I used to. I think we've mm -hmm. talked about this on here before. Since COVID hit, I've started yeah. packing my lunch more than mm -hmm. I ever did. Just that was always kind of my daily getaway to get out of the office or whatever and go sit somewhere yes. for 15 or 20 minutes and eat. Yeah. And when you couldn't well, do that anymore, it kind of took the glamour away from it. Not only that, <laughs> but I have to be careful with, like I said, I eat the, the steak and cheese from Subway because I can't have cold cuts or not very often. Uh, can't have cold cuts right now unless they're heated up. And a cold cut is just not good heated up. <laughs> so you know, Whenever our both kids, the first thing my wife wanted was a Subway sandwich. Mm -hmm. So she wanted a deli sandwich from Subway. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We had Dana on last week and we were talking about, you know, different types of foods, but I was telling her that one of the things that I was craving during this pregnancy is a cold bologna sandwich. And she was saying that that was one of the things that she had really craved too. And I don't know what it is. It's something about not being able to eat it that you can, you know, when you want it, you can't just have it. So <clears throat> that'll be probably on my get list after this kid gets here. So so uh, I got we're, a little frost. Yeah, frost? we're we're in early October, and what's our yeah. what's our frost free date typically? Isn't it the fifteenth or something like that? Something Is that the tenth or the fifteenth? Yeah, uh, you got me. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's around that. Either way, but yeah, it, somewhere between the tenth and the fifteenth. It's <laughs> been hit and miss. I know we've talked about every morning about who's had frost and who hadn't. And yeah, I didn't see any the first couple of days that we had some, but then you started looking at some, uh, some pokeweed and, uh, mm -hmm. and pigweeds and stuff that are pretty sensitive to it. And you'd started noticing where they're kind of burnt back a little and well, yeah, it, uh, must just not been looking close. I'm telling enough. you all, it was 39 degrees in my house yesterday. Y'all don't believe me, but it was, it was, it was chilly and we had a frost. Now this morning it wasn't as bad, but Matt, I think you said you had more this morning. Yeah. Than I, so yeah. Yeah, we had and, more this morning. I mean, it's been around. I've seen temperatures 37, 36, mm -hmm. um, or had people call and say that they've had temperatures around that. So we, that's yeah. definitely cold enough for frost. And, you know, we've got a lot of double crop soybeans here that were planted in July, first part of July, that are still pretty green and haven't really mm -hmm. started turning yet. And they really don't look like they've been bit. And I, yeah. I, I don't really understand that. Mm, I'm not sure either. It's, it, and maybe it, like you said, it's depending on where it is and at what location. Well, yeah. and we've had some had warm, sunny days following that, so uh, yeah. you'd think that it would show by now if it was going to show. Yeah, and it's supposed to warm up towards the end of the week, I think. So, you know, we'll be out of it. But I'll tell you, it, it frosted in the first call I had Monday morning was about prussic acid and about you know the Johnson grass in the fields that we have you know with our cattle and you know, they're all wanting to know how much, you know, is too much. And, and we just can't, I told this producer, I said, you know, I can't give you a good indication of anything because we're, we are under, we are told that you need to wait several days before you put them on again. Yeah, so that's the, that's the safest play is to just mm -hmm. wait until it's, uh, 
and really this kind of weather like we've had where it's patchy frost and light frost mm-hmm. i think is more dangerous than a it hard is. freeze right mm-hmm. it is that's what that's what i've been told and and they say you know wait four to five days but if it does this again in four to five days you're looking at another four to five days and so you know typically we say a killing frost is probably the best because you can wait you know a couple of days and then you're good but with these mini frosts it's hard to it's hard to determine you know it's leave it up to your best discretion but i'm not going to tell you to go out and graze it (laughs) well and another problem with killing frost is that sometimes you get a killing frost too early and then you get warm again and then you get those shoots to come back out and those are Mm-hmm. Those are really high in, in prussic acid. So, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes more dangerous than, you know, the the, the smaller the shoot or the smaller the, the blade, they say the worse it is. I know because somebody was talking about cutting it, you know, cutting it down. And I said, well, you've got to cut it all the way down past mm-hmm. or you've got to cut it out because otherwise you're going to have more trouble than what it is. My sheep don't eat Johnson grass. Yeah. I don't know. Train your sheep better. Well, I've got, there's, there's a spot there. I have fenced out, but there's a two patches of Johnson Mm -hmm. grass. And I've been, I told myself all summer, I need to spray that. Yeah. (laughs) I need to kill that. And I just (laughs) didn't. Here we are. And, uh, and, and I should have, but now they don't, they don't even eat it. They just eat everything around it. Mm -hmm. Now, if they were starving, they might try to eat it, but they got plenty Mm -hmm. of grass. So they just, I've got several patches and, several of my pasture fields and love it because it's I mean, it's like poor man's Andy. sorghum sudan mm-hmm. and and when you turn the cows into it they know where those patches are and it seems like they run straight to them every time yeah and that's the thing too is is if it you know if they've been in that pasture for a while chances are they've probably already eaten it down but if mm-hmm. you're you know if you're getting ready to move which this this producer of mine in particular was actually getting ready to move them into a new pasture and i was like ooh, i don't know if i would do that you know or at least wait or cut it out <laughs> and knowing him he probably is going to go with a hoe and chop it out this week so you know to each his own but that's you just got to be careful. That's, and that's what you're going to, you're going to hear us tell you that you're not going to get a, an answer from us to tell you to go ahead and do it one way or the other. So, but you know, this question about the, the prussic acid poisoning, it, it's something that we get every year. Yep. And I swear it's something I forget every year. Oh, and yeah, I should know, sure. should know the answers and should know them off the top of my head. And honestly, you ask me any other time during the year, I'm like, Oh yeah, you know, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. I spit out the answer. But then it's like, you get that call and you're like, you know what? second guess i'm yep. gonna check stuff mm-hmm. and i'm gonna call you right back because yep. I, I just I always there's a little bit of differences with that and nitrate poisoning and how some things mm-hmm. will cure out in hay or in and in, in silage and, and things like that but um it's it's always it's it's pretty important to get that right because you don't right. want anybody to kill their animals obviously but it's just one of those things that you only got to know at one time a year <laughs> just hard to remember also, it is different for hay than it is for pasturing too. You know, that's the other thing is we've got a lot of folks, you know, I've, I saw some hay cut actually yesterday. So I know that people are, you know, questioning that as well, but it's a little different situation. Yeah. As long as the hay gets dried out. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what I tell people is it's just mm-hmm. like that plant going on and dying and drying out in the field. Yep. As long as it, it gets properly cured, then that those cyanide, gases are going to dissipate out of the forage so that's what you're worried about psa for the week is if you got johnson grass in your field and you're questioning it then i would wait a few days before you pasture it and if you and if you're feeding that for hay too shouldn't you wait and feed that probably last is that a recommendation or is that as long as it's cured out you're Mm -hmm. yeah you're fine and i always tell people if they're questioning it just to have it tested 
just, you know, it's an easy test to get taken. So just do it. And if it makes you sleep better at night, get it tested. So speaking of the cold weather, uh, the frosty mornings and everything, it's had the temperatures have been pretty low too. So who's, uh, who's held out on turning the heat on? I'm team hold out right now. I'm team hold out. (laughs) This is perfect weather for the house. Yeah. Get the temperatures in the low 60s, sleep good, Mm -hmm. all covered up in the blankets. Yep. Now I'll say this, of course, with our our wood stove, you know, it's a process of getting it started and heated up. So we hold out as long as possible. (laughs) And every year, my husband and I both have a conversation of, we really need to write down when we start the, the stove every year because we feel like we wait longer and longer each year. And I said, well, it's probably because we get old and ornery and we're like, we're going to hold out just another week. <laughs> so, but I got a little extra, um, keeping me going at night, you know, as far as warmth. So I got some extra, so I don't really, I'm usually hot now. So I don't, the cold is, is perfect for me right now. See, we messed up. We got a, we got a mattress and it's like a real nice, comfortable mattress. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and probably pay too much money for it, but I don't want to go um, into yeah. that right now. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, okay. you think it's this real nice, comfortable thing, but then you get to sleep night, it's like, daggone, this thing's hot. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. I guess it's just where you're sinking down in it a little bit. It just gets hot. I'm, so I just, I like to keep the house kind of cold. I must have paid for the extra. I got the cooling. The cooling. You know what? Too. I thought they we told us too. that it was cooling, but it ain't. It's, <laughs> it's not. Um, no. No, ours is ours is nice, but I, like you said, I paid way too much money for it. And I'm thinking, but it'll it'll last a while. So hope, I, I hope a lot the of thing lasts twenty more years. I don't want to buy another <laughs> one of those. <laughs> but yeah, we've got a we've got a wood stove insert, and we'll we'll use it if we have to. It it, it heats the house pretty good, mm-hmm. but I don't like to turn that heat pump over because then you get weeks like this week where you're going from cold one night and then you're going to be in the eighties the next yep. day and you want to turn the air back on. I don't think that's yep. very good on them going back and forth. I don't think it is either. We got wall heaters because our house is several years old. So we utilize those if we need them. We'll use them in the bathroom. And then we've got one in the living room. And, you know, if all else fails, we'll just turn the stove on in the kitchen and it'll warm up the kitchen just, for a little I bit. I can't stand a heat pump. It just doesn't seem like they yeah. keep the house very warm, but they run a lot. I don't know. Yeah. I don't like them. Yeah. I didn't really have any say in the matter, but my wife turned ours on the other night and I didn't know it until the next morning. So (laughs) I lost that battle. Yeah. Well, and like I said, everybody's got a little different situation going on, but my kids, they're, my kids are hot natured anyway, so they don't usually complain about the cold too much. And well, and see, that's the thing. We've got a two year old, and that's mm-hmm. the last thing you want is something waking her up. So that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> we kept it comfy for her. Absolutely. Yeah, but we you make sure you run to the thermostat as soon as everybody gets up in the morning and turn that heat off so it doesn't get too hot to where theirs wanting to kick on mm-hmm. in the middle of the day. So we were talking a little bit about you know prussic acid and Johnson grass and that sort of thing. And Daniel, you mentioned fencing off a little bit of that. And usually in extension throughout the year, we have fencing schools and we get a little bit of information on that. And I know that UK is trying to do a couple of those this fall, but there's some things I think we need to discuss as far as that's concerned. Uh, What kind of fencing do you have? Are you just doing temporary fence around that right now? Or are you, you gotten permanent fence you're putting up or what? Um, I have temporary fence around that right now, and it's probably not, um, to extension specifications. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a combination of, um, 
galvanized, I guess it's a galvanized wire. Mm-hmm. You know what you get? And then poly wire. Mm-hmm. I don't know which one's on top or which one's on the bottom, but I've got, basically I've got a little square there that I'm trying to keep them out of. It's my quote unquote stockpiling area. There yeah. you go. And, uh, but it's got the Johnson grass in it too. So I'm trying to keep them out of there for a little mm-hmm. while longer. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I know that, uh, it seems like we get a lot of fencing questions throughout the year and I don't know. I just feel like it was the topic we probably need to discuss considering uh, the UK forage folks are, they're doing some fencing schools here in the next couple of weeks to try to make up for some programs they didn't get to do during COVID. Yeah. But I think Um, the most important reason to talk about it though, is because there's a lot of money available right now to make improvements on the farm and in a lot Mm -hmm. of our counties. So, you know, several of us probably have CAPE programs going on or coming up and, and also um, different state cost share things that are going on. So, um, yeah, I guess let's take a little bit of time and we can talk about talk about fencing. Yeah. And now, as as far as cost share is concerned, is you are you talking like the NRCS? Is there some state cost share getting ready to come up with that? Or yeah, there's some NRCS cost share programs out there now, and how they do that is uh, they have a. Uh, a continuous sign up and then they just do ranking mm-hmm. periods and and i think one of those ranking periods is coming up here within the next few weeks i'm not 100 percent sure on what the date is but so if you're you're doing some of these exclusion fencing or need to do some uh, subdivision fences to set up some rotational grazing uh definitely check into that and if you don't get in on this before this cutoff that's the nice thing is that i think they do two or three a year so uh, it just gets kind of thrown in the pool and, and they get scored and ranked when, uh, whenever they do that. Yeah. Now, as far as the cost shares are concerned, I know, Kate, there are a few stipulations on things that you can and can't use. I do know that for county cost share, I think any sort of permanent fencing and cross fencing, if I'm not mistaken, are included in that. Now, I'm not as familiar with the state cost share as I am the county but I do know that there are several different options as producers that you can use yeah if you're if you're looking into the state NRCS cost share programs definitely talk to uh, somebody in your county office and get the details Uh, it's not like CAPE where you can go do the project and come back and get reimbursed later. You have to be Mm -hmm. to get paid on that project. You have to be approved. And I think there has to be a site visit done and uh, some preliminary work done by NRCS to kind of give you some guidelines on how you're supposed to build that. And you can't just do perimeter fence. Like it has to be fence for with a purpose, you know, keeping preserving a natural resource or doing something like that. Well, and I think too, it's important to know that they're going to have stipulations because I think there's a little more money involved as well. I think there's a little bit more uh, cost share, if you will. So they're going to make sure. Yeah, it's paying at a higher rate than than what the typical CAPE 50 50 Mm -hmm. deal is. Yeah. And then it'll pay your, the state cost shares will pay your labor and CAPE will not pay your labor. Right. So, I mean, talking about perimeter fencing, what do you guys use? I mean, there's a lot of different options, but what's... Well, let's, let's talk about it like this. If you're, if you're talking about perimeter fence, what's the most important part? What do you think, Matt? What are you keeping in? Yeah. Well. Um, or what you're keeping out, maybe, even. Yeah, but I mean, like, what's the most important component of the fence? Like, regardless of what you're keeping in, what's the most important thing to do right of that fence? Put it in the right place. Yeah. 
Well, I was kind we're of. We're coming I up with we're, all we're, the good answers that say. apparently you don't. don't I'm. That, that, that's good, but I mean, I, I guess I I I was called out about my brace posts before. Oh. <laughs> okay. So okay. I always make it a point to make sure that my brace posts are really good because if they fail, the fence fails. And yes. I learned to not take pictures of your brace posts and put them on Facebook. <laughs> that's right. Because people will call you out about everything you did wrong on them. I don't know who would ever do that. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't either, but I'm telling you guys, there's a reason why there's a lot of stuff that I don't put on Facebook or <laughs> the internet. It's because guess what? Do as I say, not as I do. And y'all would be embarrassed if you all saw some of the things that I've had to throw together. But T- Two way. things you don't put on Facebook, politics and fence posts. There yeah. we go. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, you are right. There is, there's different ways to, there's ways to brace. And like you said, if you're doing a perimeter fence, especially if it's, you know, wood and whether you're doing high tensile barbed wire or whatever that is, board plank, you know, there are, those things are things you have to think about. So why don't you educate us proper way to build a fence brace, Daniel? In 30 seconds. Yeah, on the radio. (laughs) Thanks for that challenge. (laughs) Well, I think the the big things to remember, you don't want to do things the way that, you know, when you drive around and you see a lot of old fence hanging Uh, out, you can kind of look at them and and see the way they did it. It, I mean, probably even, what, 15 years ago? Yeah. Some of those fences are still up. Um, I know because I've cleaned out a bunch of them on on my farm. (laughs) And, uh, but anyway, they're, notice the the pieces of wood that they use to wind the the brace wire with yeah you know that's kind of a thing of the past there's different options you have for that now um either you know using a um or those ratchet uh high tensile strainer strainer. yeah using those and crimping the wire or tying the wire together to make to make your braces with those works a lot better a lot safer probably too Mm-hmm. I've came really, I've, I, my fence brace wire that I got called out about had one of those wood pieces in it. And I almost got knocked in the jaw when I was winding that one up. <laughs> but anyway, it's still there it's still tight, but yeah, it's probably not the way it's supposed to be done. And then you've <laughs> also got the, the pins. Um, yeah. I, I've put up fence before and drove nails, uh, from the inside out to the, to the brace posts. And, you know, drilling the holes out and putting the pins that go through the post is the best way and hanging nope. your brace wire. On and it's pins. really, it's really easier to use the brace pins. Uh, you can pop those things in there and have a brace together in five minutes where you're hammering pole barn nails for 20 minutes trying to get everything to stay. But yeah, uh, just easier and it, it lasts a whole lot longer. And if you ever go to tear it out, it's a whole lot easier to tear it out and be able to salvage your materials too. So we got brace post. Uh, we've discussed. What about um, does one thing that I see a lot of people uh, probably not doing correctly on the on their fence braces is not using a long enough brace post and not doubling your braces. Yes, I think is it so many times the height of your fence that your brace is supposed to be. Does that sound right? I don't know. I think you're you're right. Now, I don't know the number, but I think you're exactly right on that. When we went through fencing school. And it seems like most fencing types, what that gets you to is you need a, need an eight foot brace post in there is what, what most people. Yeah. And and then you can't really find, I mean, if you're going to use a fence post, Mm-hmm. You know, it's just about got to be eight unless you get a like a four by four, six by six square post. Mm-hmm. 
right. which I think those are approved for, you know, uh, call share projects. Cause I, right. I almost did that myself, but, but no, that's, um, yeah, I think eight foot's the typical. Well, and I think we foot. talked about too on your perimeter fencing, what it is, but also what you're keeping in. Um, yeah. There is a difference. You know, I know that a lot of folks will high tensiles become really popular lately. And I think that it, it serves a really good purpose. In fact, you know, all right, can, can I, can I stop you real quick? So when you yeah. say high tensile, what do you mean? Cause like I've the, noticed that there's all kinds of wire that say high tensile on them anymore. <laughs> I, all the barbed wire that I put up on my place is high tensile. Says high tensile. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're talking like the really, you're using the, the, so you're, you're, you're talking yeah. about high tensile, smooth wire, mm, smooth fence. wire, electrified. Yes. Yes. Probably electrified, probably every other one. Well, but see small that, ruminants, but that's know. a thing that I've learned in the last few years is really kind of a misinterpretation that somewhere down the line that got sold that you didn't need every wire hot. And really, I mean, that's an electric fence. It's not a mm-hmm. physical barrier. Mm-hmm. So if you probably don't, need all of them, yeah. If if you're putting the wire on there, you need to make it hot. The mm-hmm. the Don uh, electrified wires really aren't doing any good. Right. Where that came from, I think over in New Zealand, where they do a lot of of electric fence, they have a system like that. But your wires that aren't hot are tied to the ground. Mm-hmm. So when the animal touches both of them, it gives them a more intense shock. Yeah. And, uh, but people around here never build fences. Like you don't tie that, mm-hmm. that non-hot wire to, uh, to your ground. So it's really not doing any good if it's not electrified. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and that's, yeah, I can, I can agree with that. But the, the main thing is the, depending on what you're keeping in, how far apart you put those rungs essentially. And I know people that swear by using them in small ruminants. Now I, I've not used it on my farm, so I can't attest to it, but I've heard of a lot of people saying that they, you know, that they've been successful with it, but I don't I know. use barbed wire. Yeah. And I use barbed wire cause it's cheap. Yeah. <laughs> now how far but is it? Is it really cheap if you compare it to a, high tensile fence though that you can get by with a few less materials i was gonna say because matt you have do you have high tensile we've built quite a bit of high tensile the last few years just because it's so quick and so easy i can build a stretch of fence three times as long of high tensile as i can barbed wire in the Mm -hmm. same amount of time i mean it's just so fast to put it up Mm -hmm. so i have really rough ground it's very hilly and i've just i've had better luck with the barbed wire and it's mm-hmm. a lot of trees because I'm clearing out fence rows and property mm-hmm. lines had been long abandoned. And mm-hmm. I always concerned about trees falling on it. Well, and, I and just, one, I, one thing about the barbed wire is once you put it up, you can kind of forget about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to worry about stuff shorting the fence out. It seems like all summer we've fought once a week. We've got to shorten the fence somewhere and, and you go walking a mile of fence or whatever, trying to figure out where it is and waste a bunch of time doing that. And yeah. since I've got sheep, I've got, um, I've got my wires pretty close to the, gr- I've got one wire on the ground and mm-hmm. then another wire pretty up from that a little bit. And I feel like that does a little better job to deter mm-hmm. yeah. something from trying to get underneath there. Yeah. And see, that's the way we were. We have barbed wire. Oh, well, we've got, uh, oh, what's it called? Fence wire. We got, you know, woven wire, fence. woven wire. Thank you. I'll get it out in a second. Uh, we've got woven wire around 
three quarters of ours. And then on the top we had barbed wire and we kept it, we put it about three inches. Then again, it's like six. And then again, you know, we, the farther up it went. So that, that brings up another point. We replaced a fence along the road a couple of years ago. Uh, that was the old style woven wire that was just mm-hmm. sagging to the ground and falling apart. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went back with this, uh, with a newer type of wire they call uh, fixed knot yes. field fence. Mm-hmm. And it's basically a woven wire with uh, every wire separate and has a, has a wire and a neat little pattern tying it mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're supposed to be able to space your post out a little further because it's basically a high tensile wire. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Daniel and we went through fencing school together. They we put some of that up is kind of where I saw it for the first time. Okay. It's a neat concept because you stretch your wire kind of loose and go to the middle and you pull it to the middle and splice it back together and it's it's tight. Right. And uh, this is a spot on a pretty busy road where you know that that fence gets cars through it <laughs> every few years and and that was part of our deal is. Uh, we were told that if a car runs through it, you can basically just go through, pull it back down and, and replace your fence post and you're good to go. No, we hadn't anything run, run through it, knock on wood. So we don't really know, but, uh, supposed to be a good, good alternative for, for that type of fence where you need it. Yeah. I've heard too, that even where I was putting barbed wire through the woods, they say it's the fence. It'll, it'll handle a lot. You know, that high tensile woven wire, if it tree falls on it, generally, cut that tree off it'll bounce it'll bounce right back mm-hmm. up yeah and i'll i'll tell you we've got had a bull that's rubbed on this in some places i mean you can see where he has and and you you know regular woven wire they'll stretch it out and push it out past the post and everything else but uh this seems like it bounces right back and it looks just as good as it did the day it was put up speaking of fence um i've been a little um occupied here because my neighbor called a while ago when we were trying to record and you never know when your neighbor calls. It doesn't <laughs> normally call. A good thing. And it's like, you know, I may have to, we may have to take a break here <laughs> and to check and see what's wrong. Cause he only calls when I got animal out or try to get out. <laughs> my mind's, my mind's in another place right now. So you need to go check on that or. <laughs> ah, it'd be all right. So, okay. Talking about, we've talked a little bit about perimeter fencing. What about cross fencing? I know that's a lot of times we really push an extension uh, rotational grazing, whether you're doing small or large animal. And so in order to do that, we have to have in some instances cross fence. And so uh, what are your all's, what are some options that producers have out there? Well, you really don't have to get as serious with cross fencing as you do boundary fence. So I don't know. We use some high tensile. We use some a lot of poly wire, uh, and then still have some older barbed wire fences that were used for cross fences. But you know, instead of a five or six strand barbed wire fence, they might only be three or four, because uh, mm. all you're basically trying to do is keep them out of the next field. Yeah. You know, if a 300 pound calf or something gets through it and goes into the next field and gets back with his mama by the next morning. It's really not that big of a deal. It, that might drive some people crazy, but it's, it's really not that big of a deal as long as they're close to where they're supposed to be. Well, and I feel like it has come a long way in the last even 10 to 15 years, the ability to use, say if you need to cross fence, but you don't have electric on that side of the field or whatever you can, there's a lot of solar type options that you can use and use the poly wire that you can run it across 
use the pigtails and go on about your business and you can move them pretty easily by yourself. You know, I know there's some products out there that are kind of, they're interesting in how you can throw them out there and then they work, you know, but, uh, I think can I can, complain, can I complain yeah. about a product go for it? Sure. What's, um, all right. So when you're, you're doing an electric fence, mm -hmm. I, I, I do a little bit of electric with barbar, bar, which I think is kind of a no, no, um, sometimes, but I basically just have a small stretch where it's kind of my extension cord going back to the farm, the back of the farm where I fence things out a little better, um, in the field. So I've used, you know, galvanized wire, but then what's the other type of wire that's supposed to be hotter? Is it aluminum and it's lighter and it's supposed to be more conductive and it is crappy. Is it breaks really like if you if you bend it too much it breaks and actually I think that was a you know, I learned that at UK fencing school um, <laughs> is where they okay. were telling us that it was a better perimeter fence because it, it it was hotter and carried since it's your extension cord you want something that's going to keep it you right. know going you don't want to limit it as soon as it leaves the fence box as soon as that stuff breaks the I mean, it's gone I'm just going to put galvanized because it you bend it few times and it breaks. I do not yeah. like it. And also if you've got a spot where maybe if you're tying like a, uh, a hot wire onto it, it'll, it'll spark and then it'll end up being a rough spot there and it'll break. Mm -hmm. no, not a big fan. Yeah. Well, and like I said, I think everybody that is, if you're planning on doing something like this, you do your research on those products because you know, what we use and what we may, uh, utilize as, as demonstration may not be the best product out there, but we're typically doing it just show you what works and what doesn't. So, yeah, I mean, that's a good, good example of that. Well, and a point that I'll make on the, uh, you're talking about the solar chargers and spots, mm -hmm. they've got their place, but mm -hmm. when you're buying one of those, make sure you do your research on what you're yeah. getting. Cause I've used a few different kinds and I've tried to, tried to be cheap and a good solar fence charger is not cheap it's not uh but that's definitely one of those things that you get what you pay for so if if you're going to go that route realize you're going to spend a few hundred bucks it's not something you can go buy a hundred dollar charger for and and well, uh, and be done with it and even if we're talking about that talking about the even if it's not a solar charger, but the ones you plug in, knowing how many animal units you need and how how much to electrify it versus how many animals you're trying to keep in, that's mm -hmm. important to know. And as if well. your sheep have hair on them, yeah. get a hot <laughs> fence box because those daggone things will just once they get their head under there and if that uh -huh. wire gets on their back, and I think yep. it's just like just they don't care. Yeah, they won't shock them. It's just you I can't get through all that fuzz. I sat and watched, I put cross fence up on the top of my hill one day and sat and watched them go across. And I thought you little suckers, but that's exactly what they did. As long as they could get underneath it and Make their sure it's little hot. hair would be, yeah. Well, I didn't obviously. And even on cattle, I know I've had this conversation with people before fall calves in the winter time, when you're trying to strip graze or something, they're bad about getting mm -hmm. through a fence because they get, you know, these fall born calves in the winter, they get long hair on them and kind of get kind of shaggy and they're basically the same way. So. Mm -hmm. Well, and like I said, I, I think it's going to, you've got to do your research, everybody's farm and everybody's uh, operations different. So well, one size isn't going to fit all. And one thing we haven't talked about, uh, talking about electric fence is your grounding system mm -hmm. on a, on an electric fence box. That's something that's 
that gets Very overlooked important. a lot. I know, I know I've seen and maybe even had one or two on my farm, some electric fence boxes that are grounded with rusty old rebar post, <laughs> you know, the old, yeah. old school electric posts that they used to use all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's definitely not what you want to use. You need to go get some galvanized actual grounding rods and clamp your wires to those. It does really make a difference. Yeah. Uh, and make sure that you get, uh, you get those either all the way in the ground or I know Daniel and I deal with some limestone rock on our farms and, uh, think I've heard it said before that you can even dig a trench sideways and bury those just yes. as long as you're getting that surface area on the ground. It doesn't necessarily have to go six feet in the ground, but mm-hmm. uh, you can I, drive them I at did, an angle, whatever. So. Yeah, I did pretty good on mine because I just went, of course, you do them every eight foot and that's where my posts were spaced out about. So I, I kind of went where I had a post at so I knew I can get that rod in the ground. But yeah, I did have I did have to bury one. I put three in eight foot and then the third one I only got in about three foot and I said, ah, this ain't going to happen here. So I just yeah. buried it. I think I got it about six inches deep. I don't remember what the actual, like how deep it's supposed to be. Well, and I think that has more to do with soil moisture. So when we get a little mm-hmm. drier, that fence yeah. probably isn't going to be as hot, but because it's not getting down to the moisture, but, uh, but it serves the same purpose as long as there's moisture there in the dirt. Yeah. Well, and before we kind of finish up talking about this, uh, things just to keep in mind, if you are doing any sort of fencing is your access to water, access to um, shade and access to getting into a building. If you, if you're a, a barn, whatever it is, you know, look at your layout of your land and work with somebody like an extension agent or somebody with soil conservation to, if you're having trouble or, you know, have questions about how to do it, um, you can always reach out to us and we'll try to get you some info on that you sheep herders always have to have access to a barn (laughs) well not even a barn i'm just saying if you've got you know if you've got a handling facility and you've got cows on the back 40 there's got to be a way you got to get them up so that's true and that makes that's something that you need to keep in mind when you're laying out a fencing system is that can make night and day difference on being able to to get cattle up is is having laneways or something Mm -hmm. to be able to bring them straight from a field and not just and not the same field every time because then they learn <laughs> besides that besides the handling facility on our uh, on the family farm i think the the alleyway is probably the most beneficial thing we've we've built on that place mm-hmm. so um but just to finish up you know there are like i said some fencing schools that are going to happen here pretty soon uh, i know that there's october 13th is in campton kentucky and october 15th is in glasgow and I want to say that if you're interested in that to contact your local extension office and they can get you info on that, but you do need the RSVP pretty quick if that's something you're wanting to do. Well, this is definitely a busy time of year with harvest right on us. And uh, I know we've talked about share the road here several, several times on this show and I had Dale Dobson on with us a few weeks ago. Uh, Daniel, you had a young man in your County that was, was featured on the news just a few days ago, didn't you? Yeah, one of our 4-H'ers, um, Cyrus Bivens, he had a good interview on, uh, was it WHS 11, talking about sharing the road, and thought he did a really right. good job with it. I think I even saw where uh, uh, commissioner, our ag commissioner had tweeted it out, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, gave him a little bit of a shout out there, so he's gotten a lot of publicity out of that deal. Yeah, well, I mean, it's good. A lot of those 
I'm not going to say kids, they're youth, I guess those guys, I mean, they're old enough probably to drive vehicles and they're out there probably driving the combines and the tractors too, helping on the farm. So, I mean, it is our kids that are out there on the road. So good, good PSA, good public. public he must, day. I bet he's been listening to our show because mm -hmm. we've been talking about that some. Yeah. So maybe that's where he got the inspiration. I think that's where he learned it. I'm sure he's, <laughs> I'm sure he heard it from his daddy and, and Dale Dobson plenty. So, um, but anyway, yeah, I'm glad. Anytime a young person can help share the info like that, I think people listen to it a little more. So that's that's mm -hmm. good. Yeah. Well, and I think it's, isn't it National 4-H Week or National something? Is that right? There's something going on. You know, there's, there's like a week for weeks. everything anymore. Yeah. Come on, Daniel, you're a 4-H agent. I mean, <laughs> you should know that. But I, I'm not, I don't, I think it might be. I'm not sure if that was had anything to do with it's it. It's hard to keep up with three program areas. It, it is. <laughs> I do good to keep a, up with one. I was going to say, you're doing, a fantastic... <laughs> <laughs> you're doing a fantastic job, so don't worry. We'll, we'll vouch for you. <laughs> as long as you keep editing the podcast, <laughs> we'll be in good shape. Talk about hey for a second. Hey. I know. Yeah. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. hey, hey. So <laughs> there is a lot of hey, hey, hey out there. We've had a lot of uh, hey production, a lot of excess hey. So I know much even, we can say it three times. Hey, yep. <laughs> hey, you know, and I even noticed several people that I've sampled hay for this time have a lot of excess left over from last year yeah. uh, where they bought some thinking they were probably going to need it and didn't. So if you got excess hay, it's just good to remember there's avenues for that. If uh, if you're getting it tested uh, through, is, does it have to be tested through the UK yeah. or Kentucky? It has to be tested state? through KDA to be able to be advertise on their, on their website. Mm -hmm. They don't accept other tests for no. that. Okay. Well, if you're getting it tested that way, that's that's an option. And then um, there's also Facebook. There's a bunch of Facebook groups out there um, that, that are just all about hay, hay production, hay selling. Um, and then you've got Craigslist. Do people still Craigslist? I don't know. The hay we seems like the, the Craigslist deal gets a lot of scammers anymore. I yeah, think, but one I think thing since though, Facebook Marketplace, it kind of put Craigslist to the wayside. A little off topic, but you can't sell animals on Facebook. You can sell animals on Craigslist. So I think there's still like a, you know, some farmers on there that that do things. Yeah. And, uh, and you obviously not with air quotes. Yeah. It depends <laughs> how you word it and how you post it. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're technically, you're not supposed to, that's something they don't allow on Facebook. So Craigslist is where you can find a lot of animals for sale. Uh, it's where I found my sheep for sale. <laughs> so anyway, but yeah, use those for, for selling hay, use your networks that you can, you know, cattlemen's groups are a good way to network. Um, you know, any, really anything, about farming that the program that's going on at the extension office is a good yeah. way to talk to people and find out who's got hay and how much they've got or how much they want for it and all those fun things. So. Yep. We're, and we're trying to do some more meetings now that falls mm -hmm. around the corner. So, or is we are in fall. So, you know, you might be able to see a few of those folks more frequently now than maybe back in the, in the fall. And I've had a lot of hay being tested, so it's out there. And, you know, a lot of it is a decent quality. So, I mean, I would say that, you know, if you're looking for it, you can find it this year. Yep. All right. Well, any other parting thoughts for this week? I feel like we've covered quite a few varieties of topics. This kind of bounced around podcast. everywhere this week. 
Well, but hey, sometimes we need those. Sometimes we've got lots of things to talk about, and they don't. I feel like I've been minutes. feel like I've been bouncing around everywhere the past couple weeks. Anyway, yeah, yeah, story it's of our lives. The season. It does. It does. Well, if you guys don't have anything else, then we'll uh, plan on seeing you guys back here next week. All right. See you, then. See you all next week.